Welcome to episode 66 on the Live Blissed Out podcast. Did you know that it is estimated that women in the U.S. will control two-thirds of consumer wealth over the next decade? Hello, action takers. Welcome to Live Blissed Out, a podcast where I have inspirational and informational conversations with business owners and subject matter experts to help us get the scoop and the lowdown on a variety of topics. Tired of hesitating or making decisions without having the big picture? Want to be in the know? Then this is the place to go. I'm your host, Marissa Houston, helping achieve bliss through awareness and action. Thanks for joining me. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Joining me is Jen Ewan, founder and community organizer of the Plagettes. The Plagettes is on a mission to abolish the gender wealth gap by facilitating money conversations with women and allies through expert-led events and a membership community. Jen has spoken at Denver Startup Week, TEDx Mile High, Freelance Business Week Denver, and the International Franchising Association Conference. Jen and her husband have clear financial goals, which include a diverse portfolio of investment property, retirement accounts, and businesses, all while living a minimalist but comfortable lifestyle. To learn more, visit theplegets.com. Hey, Jen, it's really great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Marissa. I am always looking for more people to talk about money with. And so thank you for your bravery and inviting me on. Well, thank you. I think this is a conversation that many people avoid. And we're going to be talking today about women in particular who seem to avoid discussing financials. There are obviously consequences to that. So I wanted to get the conversation rolling by talking about that very thing. Like, why do you think women don't enjoy discussing their financials in particular? You know, I think that we learn about money from our mothers who learn about money from our grandmothers who learn about money from our great grandmothers and so on and so forth. And until recently, and still not even today, women and men don't have the same opportunities financially. It wasn't until 1974 with the Fair Credit Act that women could get a credit card without their husband's signature as a co-signer. And so as frustrating as it can be to say, oh, women don't like to talk about money as much as men, it's not true. (laughs) I know many women that love to talk about money. It's just that women want to have healthy, positive conversations about money. And they may have been raised with money is a taboo topic or it's rude to talk about money. And they probably just don't want to be rude. But we need to kind of shed that shame and start talking about money because there are people who will have positive money conversations with you. Do you think that it might be because not too long ago, as you mentioned, it's kind of scary to think we're talking about the 1970s here as if they were that far away, but it wasn't. Traditionally, the spouse would be the one managing all the financials because oftentimes they were the ones bringing in the money and women were staying home taking care of the kids and then things change. It became a two household income. Women were getting more involved and then women were breaking into the workforce. So do you think that because we had these old fashioned ways of looking at it that there are still women out there who feel like it's not their place, I guess? Yeah. And I would say even as we look at the evolution of 
who's managing the money or who's making the financial decisions in households, the generation before us, the baby boomers, let's say, the wife was managing the household budget. Don't splurge, don't indulge, be a good budgeter, clip coupons, save money. And that the husband was managing the big financial moves, the investment decisions. So working with a financial advisor or investing in the stock market or being the breadwinner. And I think we're seeing a lot of gender stereotypes and gender norms get shaken up in a really great way as we work towards gender equality on so many levels. And so now is the time you are invited, women, to have more money conversations, to make these financial decisions, to expand your role, to be whatever you want it to be with finances. Yeah, I think, again, it's a mindset thing. When you think about, let's say, cars and there's something wrong with a car, what do you tend to do? You call your husband and you say, I need help. The car's not working. The engine's not running. I don't even know the names of the parts of the car. And so you just expect (laughs) your husband to manage that for you. And I think oftentimes women think the same about financials. Now that we know that women are taking more of an active role in that, they feel stuck and overwhelmed because there's a lot to know. So how do they start? That's a great question. And that's my favorite question because I think that everything starts with a conversation. I love to remind myself on the daily that anything I know, I learned. And anybody with financial literacy learned it. So we all have access to learn about finances in multiple different ways. You could read books, listen to podcasts, take courses, go to school for it, get a degree in it, work in finances. There's so many opportunities to learn about finances. And for me, that really starts with just having a financial conversation and acknowledging it as a money conversation. Because we talk about money every day. We might talk to our friends about a great deal that we got on buying something. We might talk to our coworkers about what we're going to do with our holiday bonus. We might celebrate a friend buying a new house with a housewarming gift or attending a baby shower or all of these things where we actually are making money decisions and having money conversations. But once they get labeled as a money conversation, there's an extra level of anxiety or stress that might be put on it. There's a lot of demystification with money conversations. I'm glad you pointed that out because obviously money is a part of life. Everything we do requires some sort of credit card or investment or loan or whatever it is we do. There's financials involved in it. There's a lot of people that are fearful of who to trust. They might say, well, I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to risk a lot of money. And then everything that I worked for all my life is now gone and I'm not going to have anything for retirement. I know that people procrastinate or they put things off because of fear. Yes. And when they do that, they miss out because then they're not going to be able to reap any of the benefits. They basically push it off. They get to the point where they ask themselves, why did I wait so long? So oftentimes when they face those fears, the thing that comes up is, why did I even wait? It wasn't as bad as I thought. Yes. And so with that, I want to make a clear point. If any of you guys who are listening want to dig in on some, for me, very fascinating research, start digging into the gender wealth gap because ladies, male version of you will have three times as much wealth at retirement age because statistically they make more money 
they take fewer pauses in their career, and they invest earlier and more often. We know that there are some pretty standard financial concepts out there that can give you the greatest opportunity for retiring with the most financial stability, I'll say. There's a quote that floats around that says, Albert Einstein says that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. I'm not sure if he said it or not, but he's a smart man. We'll give him credit for it. NerdWallet has a fantastic compound interest calculator on their website, as well as a lot more. I can geek out on the NerdWallet calculators all day. But the earlier that you start investing, the more time it's in the market or in your retirement investments, the more opportunity it has to make more money and grow your wealth so that you could retire earlier or you could retire with more financial stability. And the other one is that time in the market beats timing the market. There's a lot of research on if we can make continuous monthly contributions to our retirement accounts, it will outperform doing a series of lump sum contributions to your retirement accounts. So if you are feeling fear, if you are feeling stuck, just let go of a dollar. You can open up retirement investing accounts with very low minimums. Just start small, but you do need to start. You do need to let go of a dollar and start evolving this growth abundant mindset to owning the title of being an investor. Because if you have a 401k, if you have real estate, if you have a precious metals collection, you're an investor. So own that title and take an active role in what your goals are and how you can take steps to achieve those goals. A couple of things that stand out are start small because that takes away the fear. Like you're not risking everything. You're just starting to learn the process, put it into practice, right? But before you even go there is what you said previously is you got to have the conversation. It starts with awareness, but then the awareness can't do anything unless we act on it. Amen. And those actions, right, are going to come from the information that we've gotten. That's why in this podcast, we don't tell people what to do. We simply inform them of options. What are the pros and cons? What are some of the things they should be thinking about? But you can't have that without a conversation. That's what we're having here today in the hopes that the people listening will have that financial dialogue with other people, with experts in the community, so that then they can start gathering information and start making choices that are going to be right for them. Yes. You know, one kind of persona or archetype that happens more often in women than men is the perfectionist, is this idea that they need to know everything about a potential investment before they make a decision. So then they spend so much time researching and they're never quite ready because they want to make the perfect financial decision. And I don't know if the perfect financial decision exists. So we do have to take action and we have to make decisions based on the amount of information that we have today. So you can make a plan to do a certain amount of research to have some money conversations to start doing some things. But ultimately, you do need to take action. And so don't get in this perfection cycle that I'm not quite ready. I guarantee you are ready to do something today. You're ready to have a conversation. You're ready to research. You're ready to let go of a dollar. You're ready to start small. You have to start. You're not going to be able to just build wealth by reading about wealth. 
Yes. And I think too, do you agree with me, Jen, that we tend to think so big? For example, if you were going to organize your house, right? You're thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be huge. I've got to take the whole house apart and I've got to figure out how to organize my life. When in reality is you start with one drawer. So I would say the financial plan is the same. I think we're thinking, oh my gosh, I got to put aside thousands of dollars every month in order to make this work. And the reality is there are so many alternatives. And rather than thinking so big, just get in there, but start having the conversation and start doing something. Yes. And something looks different for everyone. I think the beautiful thing about finances is that it is such a personal journey and it's not a competition. So if I decide that I want to invest in real estate as one of my priorities for my wealth, that's great. And you decide that you want to invest in the stock market and that's your main priority. That's great. And we get to both cheer each other on in this process because we're not competing. Yeah. And there's just so many things to consider. Like you said, like, how much do I put aside? Is it ever too late? Having a community of people to talk to about all these options and being able to decide for yourself what you think is going to be comfortable for you. Well, that can't happen without starting somewhere and talking about it. Yes. And I see these money conversations as like any other sensitive topic. It's peeling back the layers of an onion. We can kind of test the waters. We can start with some safe money conversations, some high level questions. Like one of my favorite money conversations to ask people is, what is your first memory of money? Would you be willing to share, Marissa? You know, what comes to mind is when my mom used to give me a little cash for my lunch money for school. When I would go to the cafeteria, I had my little bill and I would go around to these little stands of different food choices that you could have. And I had to make sure I spent that the best possible way, my lunch money. Or sometimes I would decide I didn't want to have lunch and I would keep it so that then I could use it to buy something I wanted to later or save it or do whatever. So that's, I guess, what comes to my mind. I love that. And I have asked this question of over a thousand people. Everyone is willing to share a money memory with me. So this is a starting place for a money conversation. And what I love about it is that it involves somebody else. Somebody has to introduce us to the concept of money and there's an emotion tied to it. So in your story, there was the sense of pride and power and control that you get to make these choices with your money. And that's awesome. And so when we start to look at these money experiences that we've had specifically in childhood and then as they've grown into adulthood and all of these meaningful money experiences that we have inform our money mindset. So our money mindset is a collection of our experiences, beliefs, emotions, perceptions about money. And so it shows up every day in our money choices. It shows up in our assumptions about others and our judgment about others with money. It shows up in the way that we build wealth. It shows up in our emotions because some people do share some traumatic negative money experiences with me that they've had from childhood or, or any point in their life. The best thing about your money mindset is that it can evolve. 
So you can look back at these negative experiences and say, for me personally, I overdrafted on my checking account in college. I know why I did it. I know what happened. I knew the mistakes that I made. I felt really bad about it. And I could have sat in that emotion and said, I'm bad with money. That's it. (laughs) Doomed for my life. Or I took the approach of, okay, I know what I did. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm going to make sure that I balance my checkbook. I'm going to make sure that I'm paying attention to where my money is. And I haven't overdrafted on my checking account since. In other words, it's like making any mistake. You just got to get back on. You learn from it and you improve it rather than feel sorry for yourself because that's not going to help. Totally. Right? And if you're not feeling confident about your money mindset, spend 10 minutes today and write down five times that you were awesome with money. Did you pay off your student loans? Did you pay your credit card off early? Were you able to give your parents a really awesome gift or treat your friends to something? Like write down these memories because that will also help increase your confidence that you are good with money, that money allows you to make these choices and have these experience in life. And and that's really cool and fun. It's funny you say that because I always look at a credit card as my voting card. Because when I give somebody that credit card, I'm saying to that business, I like you. I approve of what you're selling. I want to support you and what you're doing and vice versa. If I don't like that business, I'm never going to pull out my credit card and spend it there. So it's really cool because you get to make that choice, right? Yes. And if we think about women make 80% of the consumer decisions. What would that look like if we made some small swaps that were more values aligned purchases instead of just trying to get the best deal? You know, I think Small Business Saturday in 2020 was a wonderful day for a number of small business owners that I know. And it was because so many people said, I'm going to make a values aligned decision. I'm going to make a few swaps. I'm going to buy soap from a local business here instead of just getting it at the grocery store. Isn't that great? So much fun. It is. And I love that because you get to do something good, but at the same time, you get to give a quality product as a gift. So it's a win-win for everyone. That's what I always like to do. Yes. It's great. I love it. Yeah. We got a call from a listener. Hi, Jen. I'm curious what strategies you've heard of in terms of managing contributions to charity. I really feel like in my life, it should be kind of a percent of income approach. And I haven't really implemented that yet. I just kind of give when I feel moved to do so. But I'm wondering if you have any tips or tricks to be more intentional with charitable giving. If you could answer that question, I'd appreciate it. And I think this is so appropriate link to what we were just talking about. Yes. Speaking of values aligned spending. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This is a fantastic question. I love this question. And this is something I'm trying to learn too, because I want to say there is not one all-knowing money guru that exists out there. So when you listen to financial advice, understand the perspectives that people are giving you this advice. And not everybody has the same financial goals. So if Katie here has a financial goal to be a generous donator, and that's how she wants to use her money, then it's very appropriate for her to have an intentional giving strategy. So I love this. She could make it a percentage of her income. 
there's the adage of what gets measured gets managed. So if you do want to be a charitable giver, include that in your budget every month. Put aside money every month that you're going to give. And then you get to make the decision on if you want to give it monthly, if you want to give it quarterly, annually, or however you want to give, you can research a lot of the different benefits and and opportunities and make the best choice for your current financial situation and your goals. What routine scheduled giving does for charities and organizations is it gives them predictable income and revenue so that they can plan out their year better. So if they know that every year Katie is going to give them $100, they can plan their programming and their action and all of the good things that they're doing with knowing that Katie's going to give them $100 or there's a statistical likelihood that she is because she's given them $100 for the last 15 years. And probably they'll have built up a relationship with Katie and she might make a pledge or a commitment to them that she's going to continue to give in this way as long as she can. There are also some really big strategies around creating endowments or trust to give to organizations as part of building your estate plan. And if you have anything in your name, you have an estate. If you own a car, if you have bank accounts or retirement accounts, you have an estate, you're ready to create an estate plan. But within the estate plan, you can determine if you want some of your money to go to charitable causes after you leave this earth and don't need money in your next life or afterlife. And I do want to say one thing that is unique and special for 2020. The IRS has given a special $300 tax deduction for charitable contributions, even if you don't itemize. So if you do the standard deduction on your 2020 taxes, you can still take the special $300 tax donation. So you can Google this. You can go to irs.gov to get the most accurate information. You can talk to your tax professionals, but you do need to make this $300 contribution by December 31st, 2020. There are some tax things that you can do up until you file your taxes, but this is one that needs to happen in the calendar year of 2020. This is just for cash contributions. So we're talking about specifically cash contributions. Like with everything with money, you have to do your own research, validate all the advice that you're giving. Free unsolicited advice is very helpful, but make sure that you're validating it for For yourself and your goals and your personal economy. But yes, this is something I've got the irs.gov newsroom page pulled up to make sure that I fully understand it. And many people are still giving regardless of the tax deduction, but this is almost an extra little nudge or perk that you're going to get that makes your donation go a little bit further. Yeah. And to your point, you were saying there were benefits for the charity, but I would think there's also benefits for the individual aside from getting the deduction is that there's a consistent plan. You know that there's going to be a certain amount of money that's coming out every month that you're donating. So it also allows you to plan and kind of know what organizations you want to support and how much you're going to be contributing. Jen, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the Plagettes and how you help women in particular, start this conversation about their financials. I am on a mission to abolish the gender wealth gap by facilitating money conversations and allies. And I do this in two ways. One is through speaking and talking about money. So joining podcasts like Live Blissed Out and others, speaking at 
companies and corporations, at women's communities and different events. And then I also have a community, The Pledgeettes. And this is a space for women to talk about money. You join our community, you get to meet other women, have money conversations with people who are open and excited to have healthy money conversations. And then each week we bring in a different expert to talk about their favorite money topics. So I actually learned about this $300 tax deduction for charitable contributions through a CFP, Annalise Brett Hauer, who came and talked to us about tax planning in November. We also talked about impact investing, money mindset, student loans, real estate. We bring in these experts to help us improve the emotional side and the financial side of money. And so we're just having money conversations left, right, and every which way. And for the Live Blissed Out listeners, if you want to have a money conversation directly with me, I'll include a link to my calendar in the show notes and schedule a time and we'll have a 30-minute money conversation. I'll probably ask you about your favorite money memory or what you would do if you won the lottery, but I guarantee it will be a good, happy, healthy money conversation. That's awesome. And that's where it starts. A lot of it has to do with sharing, being there with other women that are also thinking about the direction they want to take with their money. And you've built that community for people to have a safe place to just listen and talk and learn and feel more comfortable and perhaps change any negative mindset they might have about it so that they can start to do something positive that'll help them reach their financial goals. Yes. And I want to say one of my favorite things about the Pledge Ads community is that we are a place to celebrate. This idea that your personal financial journey should be a solo one is just ridiculous to me because so many of the great things I've done in my life have involved other people. Even like playing sports as a kid, I had awesome coaches and teammates and awesome competitors. And sports were so much fun because there were other people involved in it. But then we're told, you know, money's taboo. Don't talk about money. And we have to find these own kind of celebrations to do on our own. So we get a raise at work and then we buy a new car and everybody can compliment us on our new car. But like, what if we could save $30,000, not buy a new car and we could just tell our friends, hey, we got a raise and we can celebrate the fact that you just got a raise. Yes. And I love that. We feel like we can't talk about it. It's a private thing when it doesn't have to be. You can share so much and you can celebrate each other's achievements and have a place to go to learn and support each other. And that's what I love about the community you've built, Jen. Is there a website that they can access to get more information? Come and find us at thepledgeettes.com. That's wonderful, Jen. Thank you. I have learned so much today and I so appreciate you being here. I am so grateful to be here. As I shared at the top, I am always game for more money conversations. So thank you for inviting me to talk about money on Live Blissed Out. That's all for this episode of Live Blissed Out. Thanks for listening and thanks to Jen Ewan for being my guest. If you have a question or comment for a future episode, all you have to do is go to speakpipe.com forward slash L-B-O-V-M or click the link in the show notes to leave a brief audio message. If you find value in our show, please visit liveblissedout.com to reach out, subscribe, and share on social media. This show is made possible through listeners like you. Thank you. So long for now. And remember... 
to keep moving forward.